0: The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it, and and they are saved. Today, if you're righteous, that means if you're right before God, it's not because you've done that. It's because Jesus has done it for you. Isn't that true? Right now, you and I get to stand here clean, and we haven't cleansed ourselves. He's cleansed us, and I just don't want to ever tire of how good it is to be forgiven. Today, if if you haven't confessed, if you haven't come to the Lord and told him, like I, I need you, I need you to cleanse me, I need you to wash me. The word says if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Come today and, and worship him. Come today and learn from him. He indeed is good. Our passage is 1 John chapter 3. Towards the end of your Bible, 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation, we're in 1st John, chapter 3. Earlier in the book, John taught us, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that one of the ways that we look for evil is through doctrine. There are some evil belief systems out there, and one evil belief system is to deny the incarnation of Christ. Christ is to deny that Jesus came in the flesh. Right away, you and I should know, because we're reading our Bibles, that if anyone says that Jesus didn't come in human form, we know that that's not good, that that's wickedness. Another doctrine that he exposed would be to deny the deity of Christ, to say that Jesus really isn't God. Jesus came in the flesh, he was God, and he is God. Those are two doctrines that we really need to hold on to. Now, there are a host of Erroneous doctrines, but those are the two that were previously pointed out in this book. But this section is not really first and foremost about beliefs or doctrine. Guess what? It's about the way we live our lives. It's about our deeds. It's about whether we love or don't love. It's about whether we hate or don't hate. Verse 18 says that we should love in deed and in truth. Sometimes the topic of love is this concept that's difficult for us to contain because to love is is so big. But it also is something that we can chalk up to just being a feeling or to being warm and, and fuzzy. And that's not all that love is. I pray that you would let this part of the Bible and really all of the word define love for you because how we treat each other is of the utmost importance. Let's look at what's written in verse 10 of chapter 3. In this the children of God And the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Now you can know wickedness by doctrine, but also, doesn't the scripture say here that you can know wickedness by looking at deeds, by what is done. John writes here in very arresting terms. This gets my attention. Does it get yours? He says, there are children of God and there are children of the devil. That's the way the scriptures put it. John decides, let's make this very, very clear. There are those that are doing the will of the devil and there are those who are doing the will of God. Should we dull the edge of the sword and make it more palatable. Oftentimes when this passage is, is taught, it's only from the perspective of the child of God, because that's the nice side, right? But the scriptures say here that they are also children of the devil, and if you're here and you belong to Jesus, you want to stay as far away as you can from anything that's of Satan, from anything that he is promoting. It's strongly stated here. It should not be kept or taught in a way that is more palatable. You see, This life is more than just good versus evil. It's more than just the good guys versus the bad guys. It's definitely a lot more than, uh, there are two paths, although there are just two paths. The scriptures are teaching us here that there is the way of Satan and that there's the way of the almighty God. And although Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, he still, listen, has an agenda. Are you aware of it? And then there's the agenda Of our loving God, the almighty God, the one true God. And although many are blind to him, he has a way that is good and right. So there are the children of God and there are the children of the devil. So we can get caught up in just trying to fix the symptoms. Isn't that true sometimes? We're just trying to fix what's going on, the actions, and maybe even some of the thoughts. That's that's not what this is about. We have to realize who we're fighting against and who is fighting for us finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We know that. We have it memorized, and then we just go right back to fighting in the flesh again. I sure hope not. We need an awakening to the armor, and awakening to the Almighty, seeing the strategies of the devil. That's what I need. Scriptures say here, they're children of God and they're children of the devil. So what are the actions of the child of God? The child of God practices righteousness. The child of God is skilled at righteousness. They're precise when it comes to doing that which pleases God. The child of God takes aim, careful aim, at doing that which is right. That is the child of God. They do it through the strength of God. A child of God loves brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the specific righteousness that's mentioned here, love. John is not delivering something new. Isn't that what he says here? You've heard it, this of old. And he goes all the way back to Adam and Eve's sons, to Cain and to Abel. What are the actions of the devil? What are the actions of the child of the devil? Well, hate. The child child of the devil doesn't practice righteousness. He or she is rather haphazard about pursuing righteousness what is right? Oh man, I don't have to be that focused on pursuing what is right. It, it'll happen when it happens. The child of God has hate in the heart. And who is used here as an example? Cain. He took his brother's life in a fit of rage. He was jealous. He was envious. And he blamed God for rejecting him, rejecting him, even though he would not res- submit to God's righteous requirements. So before we get into our points and really taking apart this passage, beware because we're tempted to say, "Well, I'm not like Cain," because that's really big bad hate when you kill somebody, and I haven't killed anybody lately, anyways. So I'm dismissed, but the Bible's going to back up here and get right into the heart and get right into the motive and teach us about what hate really is. And the Lord does this because he loves us, because he wants to keep us from going astray. This isn't anything new. He goes back to the, the beginning. Point number one, lack of love becomes hate. Do you see where it said in your Bible right there in the end of verse 10, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So when we don't love, that's the beginning of hate. You see, with Cain, he didn't just go out one day and kill his brother, right? It started with him not loving his brother. It started with him not caring, being ambivalent, lacking patience and goodness. And then it went to him being jealous, and being full of resentment, his lack of love led to him despising his brother. Although most of us will never get to murder, we are prone to hate. And that lack of love sometimes is thought of as just unacceptable. But according to God, it says here that it's the way of the devil. That's a lot for me to stomach, but it says it right in the scriptures, that when we don't love each other, that when we, you can't love your brother, you can't love your sister, you won't love them, that that's of Satan. God puts us on notice, once again, because of his love for us, so we're not deceived. He wants us to walk as children of God. Do not marvel, my brethren, that's verse 13, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Number two, love begins in the heart. Yes, we need to watch out that we don't lack love because that leads to hate. But do you know that love, even though it's manifested in our actions, it starts on the inside. Love begins in the heart. When I say the heart, I mean desires. I mean, is your heart prompted by God to love? Do you have a desire inside you that God put there to love one another, to love your brother, to love your sister? These verses are the reverse, aren't they? Love begins in the heart, but this verse teaches us that hate begins in the heart. It starts with our desires. John is remembering words from Jesus' lips. He's remembering what Jesus taught him. And you know what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount? in Matthew chapter 5 verse 22 but i say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment jesus goes right back to the desire and he says hate starts in your heart yes to kill someone to murder is certainly hate but it starts inside of us sometimes we think of hate in the wrong way we have like this hateometer in our minds and we think to ourselves, well, harboring some hate in my heart is like a, you know, it's like a one on the Richter scale. It's really not that bad. It's not, it's not that big of a deal. It's not like the, you know, slaying someone, murdering someone. It'd be like the 9.3 or the 9.5. That's the really big bad hate. But the Bible teaches us here that it's all hate and that it's all the agenda of the evil one, certainly not the agenda of God. It's not the worst if I harbor this hate in my heart. I haven't carried it out to its fullest extent. We certainly do want to stay away from murder, but the scriptures give us the truth that hate in our hearts really is hate. It's not low-level hate. It's not halfway acceptable hate. It's full-on hate. It's ugly, it's terrible, and it's destructive. Even if hate in our hearts doesn't cause us to say something hateful or to do something hateful, it still is hate. And it's the hallmark of the child of the devil. Have you seen how God will use, even though he doesn't cause us to sin, he'll use sinful words that come out of our mouth to cause us to see that we're actually hating in our hearts? Because we don't see hate in our hearts sometimes. But then when we lash out and we say something that's just straight up wicked, do you ever think, where did that come from? The scriptures say, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Have you done something that's, pretty hateful, some action, you've carried it out, and it revealed to you, I'm, I'm hating. That hate came from inside of me. I was harboring it before, and now it's starting to come out of me. What if we had so much clarity that we thought to ourselves, and this really would be the prompting of the Holy Spirit, I'm starting to hate. It was that clear. And then we could j- allow God to show us how to snuff it out. If we saw it that way, instead of, well, I don't like them too much. Well, oh, there's a little bit of resentment, a little bit of bitterness. If we saw the clarity of what God's word says and stuff, look at me, I'm starting to hate them. Wouldn't that help us repent more quickly? It certainly would. I can't afford to harbor hate at all in my heart. I think when I was a kid, I used to hear a lot that Hate meant that you wish somebody was dead. Have you told somebody that before? Hate's really bad. It means you wish somebody was, was dead. But hate comes way before that it's resentment, it's bitterness, it's hoping for ill will in a person's life. And it starts seemingly small, but it is no small matter. We're not called to love the evil agenda that so many people have. That, we're not called to love that, but we are called to love the person. Jesus said, love your enemies. Jesus said, pray for those who spitefully use you. This is my massive shortcoming. Loving people. You might say, ooh, that doesn't sound too bad. Well, it is bad. The number one command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So isn't it a great sin to not love your neighbor? It is. It is. We have a hard time separating. Look at the wickedness. And we should despise the wickedness. We should hate it. But when we despise the person, when we hate the person, that's certainly wrong before God. That's the work of the devil. He's causing me to despise someone that I'm supposed to be loving. Even my brother or my sister. The prayer to love. Hate isn't just wishing somebody was, was dead. It's that despising it's that resentment that starts inside so since love begins in the heart hate begins in the heart love begins with a change of your desires have you been prompted within not just from the outside to love your brother and sister in christ has god done that work in you what can you do to feed that love pray for people Don't pray that they would have their their teeth kicked in and that they would die a slow and painful death. Pray for their good. Pray for a good work of God in their heart, Even if you despise the way they're living their life and the things they're saying and the agenda that they're pushing, pray for people. Pray for a good work of God in their hearts because love begins in our hearts and our desires. That's the desire purification that we all need. Pure in heart towards those who persecute us. Pure in heart towards the people who are in the family of God. Point number three is right there in verse 16. Do you see it? It tells us something else about love. Love lays down its life. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Love lays down its life. Who's the example? He, got to really, he has a really bad example here, which is Cain. And then he goes to the example of our Lord Jesus and says, this is what love is. It's to lay down your life for the person that you're loving. Didn't Jesus teach this? He certainly did. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. John recorded that in chapter 15 of his gospel. It's not. There's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. You're sitting among your friends right now. These aren't all your friends. Will you lay down your life for them? That's what Jesus taught. But more importantly, that's what Jesus did. Romans 5, 6. I'll read from the New American Standard. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's me. Helpless and ungodly, and he died for me. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, that monumental act of the cross, proving his love to you and to me. This massive display of love, this huge deed showing us one extreme evidence of love he took our place he took took your place in mine I hope that I could love like that if I was called to but most of us will not have to show love in one monumental act but love is is to still lay down its life so what does that mean practically since love is to lay down your life Maybe you won't have the opportunity to just take a bullet for somebody or to exchange your physical life for theirs. What does it look like for you practically to love by laying down your life? What does it look like for me? I heard a commentator put it this way and I couldn't find which commentator it was, but it's a great example. If you were to pay a huge debt, say $5 million, that's a lot to lay down. But instead of paying that debt in one lump sum and just saying, here's the five million. You paid it one quarter at a time, just 25 cents at a time. Some patience here, some kindness there. Not keeping a record of wrongs here, not being rude there, not failing when other so-called friends have fled. Wouldn't that still be laying down Wouldn't that still be paying the debt? Wouldn't that still be laying down your life? It's just in small increments. You see, you and I think in terms of like, what like massive thing can I do to love? And God may give you that opportunity to do something really big, but oftentimes it's like we're laying down our lives in quarters, aren't we? And saying, here I am, Lord. We sang today, like I surrender. Like how are you loving others? Just one bit at a time. Not in a fickle fashion, but in a faithful fashion, laying down your life for your fellow Christian one good decision at a time, one piece of commitment at a time. Look for ways, because God's provided them to you that you can give of yourself. When you lay down your life, that's sacrificial. You see, I'm pretty good at giving in my abundance. Like, I have extra. Guess what? I'm, I could just give it away. But laying down your life is to give of yourself, It's to give when you're tired. It's to give when you're beyond being inconvenienced. It's it's to follow through when things are difficult. Isn't that when it's difficult to love? Actually, that's what love is. You say, I'm going to give that bit right now to the person near me. And I'm looking for ways to do that. That's what love does. It starts in my heart. It starts in your heart. It's not just something extrinsic. It's something intrinsic. And then, It's often in little bits and pieces. Are you paying attention to your opportunity to love? Or are you thinking it's going to be some massive, massive thing when really it's just step by step, looking for needs, giving away God's grace, being faithful because he was first faithful to you. Lay down your life. Greater love has no one than this and to lay down one's life for his friends. Now look at verse 17. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see, God knows me and you, and he says, oh, yeah, yeah, I love, I love, yeah, I'm, I definitely love people. And then he says, do your deeds reflect that? You're laying down your life in quarters, a piece at a time, as the Lord prompts you. Point number four is that love meets tangible needs. Sometimes we think, well, there's the spiritual, and then there's the physical. There's the the tangible, and then there's that which lasts forever. The Bible's teaching us here that when you meet a tangible need, you have the goods. Isn't that what the Bible says? You have a way to meet the need and then you get it done, that that's a spiritual act of service. Now, needs are difficult to define because so many of us are so affluent. But our monetary wealth doesn't release us from this requirement of love, does it? The scriptures don't say, well, if you have the world's goods, and there's lazy people that don't deserve your money, you don't have to give it to them. Or if there are entitled people, or if there are people who who are working the system, they're users. No, it says in the scriptures that do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. James puts it this way in his book, chapter 2, verse 15. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and if anyone says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? no use. You just say, I love you. Go and, and have your needs met somewhere. So if you have a way to meet a need, if you have a way to give, then act in love. Love meets tangible needs. Yes, there are lazy people. Yes, there are users. But tangible needs go out and say, in the name of Jesus, make sure that people know that this isn't me. God gives us the opportunities. We just don't always take those opportunities. Verse 19. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Number five, loving others brings assurance of salvation. Loving others brings assurance of salvation. I'm going to ask a scary question, but I really think it's worth asking. I've been through this myself. Since it's in the word of God, I know that some of you have gone through it also. Have you ever asked the question of yourself, am I even saved? Or or am I just faking it? Has that question ever been in your heart or your mind before? Where where you're thinking, do I belong to God? Am am I a child of God? And even though the Lord has assured you in the past of your salvation, the enemy is there, the devil's there with his darts, with those doubts, and he, he thrusts them at us. Am I even saved? You see here, there's a portion of scripture that teach us one of the ways that we can know that we're saved and you can know that you're a child of God. Now, I'm not saying that you should know because let the word of God unearth the truth in you, but it is possible and not some remote possibility that you can know that you're going to heaven, that you don't have to wonder your whole life. Well, I kind of think I'm going to heaven. I kind of think I'm a child of God, but you can indeed have assurance of salvation that you can know that you belong to him and that he belongs to you. There's something here about knowing that. You and I can have confidence that Christ is ours. Look what the word says. You can have assurance that you have atonement through Jesus. We can have assurance. We can assure our hearts before him. That's in verse 19. Now look at verse 21. We can have confidence before God. The same principle was back in verse 14. Go to the beginning of that one. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Loving others brings assurance of salvation, doesn't it? When you realize within yourself, I have loved instead of being filled with hate. I'm acting like a different person. And it wasn't from me. It came from inside of me. It was God moving my heart, changing my desires to love instead of hate. If it were just up to me, I would keep a record of wrongs. Instead, I'm being kind. That's God's love in me. If it were just up to you, you would probably rail on people. Instead, You're reaching out to them. That's God's love in you. If it were up to me, if it were just up to you, you would schedule your pleasures, your interests, your hobbies, and then you'd also schedule the work that helps you earn the money so that you could pursue those pleasures and and hobbies and interests. Instead, or in addition to, I should say, you're also scheduling service because God has changed your heart. Would you schedule serving other people, because that's one of the ways you love them, just in your own goodness? No. You're spending your life, you're laying down your life one quarter at a time with each meal that you make for somebody else, with each Sunday school class that you teach. And they're not your kids. They're not your grandkids. You're laying down your life with each quor- one quarter at a time with every toilet that you clean, and every square of the carpet that you vacuum here at the church, when you lay down your life, when you love, that's evidence that you belong to God. Now, it is possible that you, know, you could just, oh, I'm being pressured by these people. You know, we do not want you to, to pressure you to do something that God isn't pressuring you to do. But if that's coming from inside of you, and you're like, I am prompted to love. If it were up to me, I would harbor hate. Instead, I'm snuffing it out as soon as it starts. That's God's love in me and in you. If it were up to me, I would ignore most people and just hermitize myself. But instead, I'm being hospitable. Hospitality is not Eddie. Hospitality is Jesus. Where did that come from? It's God's love. This is you also, isn't it? Maybe you would be looking for friends if it was just you to socialize with. Instead, you're seeking to make disciples for Jesus. Yes, friends, but friends for the sake of the glory of God. You see, all those insteads, if you know they're not you, but it's God loving in you and through you. Rejoice greatly because this love is assurance that you have passed from death into life. You're saved by grace through faith. You're not saved by your deeds but you've received a grace that is so great that you cannot stay the same. That's assurance of salvation. You're a child of the Father and you're displaying your Father's attributes. He's transforming you. Is that the truth about your life? It brings great confidence, just like the scriptures say. I know it's not me. If the love of God is not a way of life for any person, this is to awaken them. Although a person can have assurance of salvation, is assurance for those who are not saved? Like, should I teach this passage, should anyone teach this passage and say, oh, we can all know that we're going to heaven? No, you need to examine this for yourself. These verses are to get our attention. And if we are loving Just in word, but not in deed? Should we be sure of our salvation? Don't be sure of your standing if you shouldn't be. But you know if God has prompted and you are carrying out a life of love. And you know if it's the Lord and not you. And let that minister to your heart. If that's not happening in you, why isn't it? Don't you want to follow after Jesus? Do you have a faith? that changes your life and teaches you how to love when you know you could never love on your own. If love is a way of life for you, then let that be evidence. It should be evidence of your sweet salvation, that change, that power inside of you. The first burn day, I jumped on it. I have so much stuff to burn on my property. I was like, man, I'm I'm gonna burn. So I took the plastic off the burn piles and torched them. It's great. And then the next day wasn't, you know, I was like, I gotta put this fire out. And so I'm like, I hate doing it, but you know, you gotta douse it. So I'm dousing all the rounds and, and the stump that's right, that's there, make sure it doesn't burn all of Lomarica down and you guys would be all mad at me or whatever. So I, I spray some water on it, on the outside anyways. I come back the the next morning and it's burning. How did that happen? How did it happen? It's because the fire was on the inside, right? It was on the inside of that stump. It was on the inside of that round. And even though I could douse it, if that is from the heart, if it's from the inside, nobody can put it out. And that's the way love should be from our hearts. The Lord prompting us to lay our life down one bit at a time, to meet tangible needs, to let him use that love inside of us to show us that we really belong to him, to prove, to be living examples of his great love. As Gary and Christian come up, I'm gonna ask you guys to stand and I wanna read some lyrics to you. So would you stand and and listen to this? This is the bridge of the song Hosanna. Hosanna. It's one part of the song that I really, really like. It says this. Heal my heart and make it clean. And open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. That's a prayer. I I mean, Jesus has loved you abundantly. He's lavished his love upon you. And are you praying from the heart Teach me how to love other people the same way that you've loved me. Man, am I falling short. But still, it's the call, and he's given the power to do so. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. God, if it grieves you, I want it to grieve me. Everything I have for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth into eternity. Lord, I thank you for the love that you pour into our hearts. I just know that it's from you and not from, from us. I pray, God, that that would give us great encouragement, that even though we fall down and we fail to love sometimes, Lord, we just turn right back around and we say, Lord, I'm sorry, I, I want to love like you love again. Thank you for calling us your children. I just thank like what manner of love you've given to us that you have called us your children. But then you've also told us how to act like your kids and how to not be the child that's of the devil, Lord. And so I I pray for this love to not be lacking in our lives. In a world that is definitely full of of hate, it's not hard to find. I, I pray that we would shine, give away one bit at a time, the sacrificial love that you've given to us. I pray that as we sing this song, we would worship you in spirit and in truth, and that we go, as we go from this place, we would not just love in word or in tongue, but we would love in deed and in truth. Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.